This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Russia warned of a man-made disaster at Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine, which it captured in March and threatened to shut down if shelling continued. That would risk, quote, a radiation disaster at the largest nuclear power plant in Europe, said Energo Adam, a Ukrainian nuclear company. Antonio Guterres, the UN's secretary general, likened it to, quote, suicide. On Thursday, Russia's foreign ministry rejected international calls to demilitarize the surrounding area. The office of Indonesia's president said that Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin are to attend a summit of the G20 in Bali in November. The Wall Street Journal had reported that Joe Biden might meet China's president in Southeast Asia at about the same time, though it is hard to picture Mr. Biden going anywhere near his Russian counterpart. Mr. Xi has not left China since the earliest days of the pandemic. Britain's consumer confidence plunged to historic lows on Friday, according to research by data provider GFK. Respondents were gloomy about all five component parts of the Consumer Confidence Index, reflecting, quote, a sense of exasperation about the UK's economy, according to a GFK director. Separately, Britain reported a fall of 1.2% in retail sales in the three months to July. Xiao Jinhua, a Chinese-Canadian billionaire financier, was sentenced to 13 years in prison by a Chinese court on charges of bribing officials to evade financial scrutiny as well as illegally obtaining public deposits and breaching trust. His company, believed to have links to high-ranking politicians, was fined a record sum of 55 billion yuan, or $8.1 billion. Mr. Xiao, seized from a Hong Kong hotel room in 2017, was tried behind closed doors in July. Olaf Scholz, Germany's chancellor, denied allegations of impropriety in his management of a multi-billion euro tax fraud case while acting as mayor of Hamburg in 2017. Mr. Schultz stands accused of deliberately failing to collect 47 million euros, or $47 million, in tax payments from Warburg, a local bank. The investigation comes at a difficult time for Mr. Schultz as he grapples with Germany's energy crunch alongside his own dipping popularity. Xiaomi, a Chinese tech company, reported a 20% revenue drop to 70.2 billion yuan, or $10.3 billion, for the second quarter, a worse performance than analysts predicted. Net income dropped by 83% to $1.39 billion. The company cited the pandemic, increased fuel prices, input costs, and inflation as reasons for the downturn. Formerly China's biggest smartphone brand, Xiaomi has struggled against domestic competition. The man accused of stabbing Salman Rushdie, a decorated novelist, pled not guilty to second-degree attempted murder. Hadi Matar was detained without bail at a court hearing in Chautauqua, upstate New York. Sir Salman, who has long been an assassination target for certain Muslims who believe his work to be blasphemous, was attacked before giving a lecture last week. And word of the week, umaibo, meaning delicious stick in Japanese, and the name of a beloved puffed corn treat that made national news this year when its price increased for the first time since 1979. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Novelny riles the Kremlin from jail. 
Exactly two years ago, the Kremlin tried to assassinate Alexei Navalny, its most prominent domestic critic. He fell ill on a flight over Siberia. After being evacuated to Germany, it was confirmed that he had been poisoned with Novichok, a military nerve agent. Mr. Novelny returned to Russia five months later and was duly imprisoned, but he has not been cowed. The Kremlin is using the war in Ukraine to silence other critics. Prominent opposition politicians have been imprisoned on sham pretexts. Prohibitions on, quote, discrediting the army have, in effect, outlawed dissent. Independent-minded Russians have emigrated. And all the while, Mr. Novelny has continued riling the authorities from behind bars. His latest ruse was to register a trade union for prisoners. Authorities then put him in solitary confinement. Mr. Novelny says he was told the move was punishment for failing to fasten the top button of his prison uniform. A Rematch for Boxing Heavyweights Last September, an underdog Ukrainian fighter, Oleksandr Usyk, defeated Anthony Joshua, a Briton who held three world heavyweight belts. Mr. Usyk had built a successful career as a cruiserweight, but was widely expected to struggle after going up a division. Instead, his superior technical skills humbled his opponent, who looked tactically naive and slow-footed. On Saturday, in the Saudi Arabian city of Jeddah, Mr. Joshua has his rematch. If he wins, his career will be back on track and negotiations for a lucrative title unification fight with another British heavyweight, Tyson Fury, will resume. If he loses again, his career at the top of boxing will probably be over. Yet Mr. Usyk has had the more difficult year. He enlisted in the Ukrainian army and his family home was temporarily seized by Russian fighters. He has ensured that the fight will be free for all Ukrainians to watch. This time, he will not be underestimated. Australia wears its mullets with pride. Native Americans once sported mullets, so did the ancient Greeks. But Australia sees the hairstyle as a badge of its national identity. On Saturday, fans of the much-derided cut gather in Dubbo, a city in New South Wales, for an annual competition to find the finest mullets down under. The controversial look is eternally popular in outback Australia, but its recent proliferation has ignited a national debate. Mullets have returned to fashion in the country's professional sports leagues. They are trendy in schools and surfing communities, but not everyone is sold on the do. Several private schools have banned the hairstyle and some pubs turn away mulleted men for falling short of dress codes. The issue has even percolated up to the top heads. The mullet is, quote, a unique Australian invention, one which we've been selling to the world, Western Australia's pro-mullet premier Mark McGowan claimed last year. He advised the Haircuts fans to, quote, rise up and rebel against these extreme rules. What to Read to Understand the History of Western Capitalism It is easy to be swept up in news about the economy, which can make it hard to step back and think about the bigger questions. Yet economic history can improve your understanding of the news. Here are five helpful resources. The Worldly Philosophers by Robert Heilbrunner is an excellent introduction to the history of economic ideas. It covers everyone from Adam Smith to Thomas Malthus to Karl Marx, explaining what they thought and why.
Also try A Culture of Growth by Joel Mokir, which deals squarely with the question of why Europe was the first region to industrialize, focusing on institutions. And for much more European history, Jonathan Sumption's 3,320-page The Hundred Years' War shows just how different governance and politics were before capitalism. Two of the best resources, though, are not books, but journal articles. War as an Economic Activity in the Long 18th Century by N.A.M. Roger emphasizes the role of technology in economic success. In Enclosures, Common Rights, and Women, Jane Humphreys looks at the impact of that success by examining how lifestyles changed as capitalism came about. For reading recommendations on many more topics, visit The Economist Reads. Weekend Profile Fanny Willis, the local prosecutor taking on Trump World Quote, it does not matter what your notoriety is, what your fame is. If you come to Fulton County, Georgia, and you commit crimes, we are going to prosecute you to the fullest extent of the law. So said Fanny Willis, the local district attorney in May, unveiling gang-related charges against Young Thug, a Grammy-winning rapper, and 27 others. Young Thug denies the charges. But they could equally be seen as a warning to Donald Trump, another celebrity in Ms. Willis's sights. For months, Ms. Willis has been investigating attempts by Mr. Trump and his allies to overturn his 2020 election loss in Georgia. Mr. Trump has denied wrongdoing. Her probe, one of several he faces, is sprawling. Among its targets are Rudy Giuliani, Mr. Trump's former lawyer, and the Republican, quote, fake electors who falsely tried to certify the vote for the former president. Charges, if and when they come, might allege a coordinated criminal scheme to commit election fraud. Ms. Willis has a history of using racketeering laws which target criminal, quote, enterprises like the mafia. In 2013, she used these laws to secure an indictment against teachers and administrators for inflating pupils' exam scores in a case that made national headlines. Eleven of the 12 defendants were convicted. Her charges against Young Thug's cohort also allege racketeering. Ms. Willis is a formidable opponent. Described as a, quote, street fighter in the courtroom, she has spent most of her career in the office she now leads. In 2020, she handily beat her former boss to win the top job. On her first day as district attorney, news broke of Mr. Trump's demand that Brad Raffensperger, Georgia's elections chief, quote, find 11,780 votes. That notorious call launched a career-defining probe. Ms. Willis maintains that she takes, quote, no pleasure in going after a former president. Opponents say she is on a politically motivated crusade. Last month, a judge scolded her for hosting a fundraiser for the Democratic rival of a Republican whom she was investigating and disqualified her from pursuing him. Her inquiry is likely to last for months yet. As it gathers pace, Trump world may heed the words of 50 Cent, another rapper on racketeering charges. Quote, those laws were designed for you not to escape them. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Jin Hong Park, Suwon, South Korea. North America, Heather Burnett Gold, Leesburg, USA. Central and South America, Alvaro Tomas, Panama City, Panama. Europe, Finbogi Oskarsson, Reykjavik, Iceland. Africa, Richard Small, Johannesburg, South Africa.
Oceana, John Wright, Auckland, New Zealand. They all submitted the correct answers of Mash, the Cask of Amontillado, Stephen Stills, Grain, and Dram. The theme is whiskey, which is mashed, matured in a cask, distilled in stills, made from grain, and a drink of which is often referred to as a dram. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Phyllis Diller, who died on this day in 2012. A smile is a curve that sets everything straight. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.